Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Conversations with Calvin, We the Species. Uh, chronologically, uh, I don't mind saying uh, uh, tomorrow uh, is Halloween. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and this is how I get dressed up. Um, I, I wear my little polo and I wear a rector's hat and I'm ready for Halloween. Uh, um, so uh, this is a, a very special uh, interview uh, with Alexandra Tacheva uh, and and her background. Uh, you know, there are backgrounds and there are backgrounds. And, and as we met and, and discovered one another, and, and as I plunged into her background, uh, it, it, you know, by the way, I'm I'm saying this. Uh, you know, it's the stuff they make movies of, um, and um, uh, and and I really believe that. Uh, uh, I, I'm looking at your tagline, uh, and this is why we're here. It's such an uh, from classical violinist turned registered nurse, investor, martial artist, health freak, and author, and a successful holistic uh, life advocate. That is one uh, amazing tagline uh, uh uh your accomplishments and and your journey and that's why we're here to kind of talk about this stuff uh and i i just find it uh, so amazing in this in, in this world the things that you've done so that's the essence uh of my monologue uh i set us chronologically and and now uh you know what uh, alexandra how about just a quick you know, 45 second little intro, uh, and then we're going to jump into a whole bunch of things. So take it away. Thank you, Calvin, so much for having me. Thank you for your kindness. Very kind intro, way too kind. Um, I am a former violinist and currently a registered nurse. Yes, investor in real estate, business owner and author of a book and also a holistic confidence coach. Things just happened that way. I had some problems for 20 or so years, which I resolved. And now my mission is to help people resolve theirs in the same manner, if possible, or even better. And by the way, Calvin, congratulations on your new book coming out. Thank you. Uh, I forgot to show it. it. There's a tortoise in my hair. Journey Spirit just got published on Amazon. Uh, and it got a Kirkus star, the highest honor that Kirkus can give. So thank you for reminding me about that. I always forget about that. I shouldn't. <laughs> of course, of course. So um, let's let's jump into. Uh, it's kind of like an old, old, old TV show. This is your life, way, way, way before your time. Actually, it was in the fifties. It was a great show that talked about people's lives. So this is your life. Um, I, I guess the best way to, to start is you came over uh, from Bulgaria 23 years ago. Talk about that. Uh, what, what brought you to the United States? Sure. I came on a student visa, Calvin. I was a violin, a violin student. I, um, I had just finished my bachelor's uh, studies in classical violin in the um, music academy in Sofia. And I did get a chance, thanks to a wonderful teacher, Professor Kivork Murdi Rusian, to come to the United States on a student visa. So I earned my master's and doctoral degree in violin wow. in the States at LSU, Louisiana State University. And I graduated in 2007. Okay. Um, so uh, in Bulgaria, uh, how, how young were you when you, you first started your, your musical studies? Uh, I was six. I was six. Well, family musicians. Wow. wow. Uh, and then you wind up going for your doctorate uh, 
Actually, one of my uh, I kind of like LSU because they've had some great sports programs. So I <laughs> so but right. you, you got your doctorate at LSU, correct? I did. Yes. Okay. Um, and then from there, you wound up in Syracuse. I did, yeah, because I I had a part-time position with the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra while they still existed. You know, they bankrupted in 2011, unfortunately. But I did um, win a part-time audition, uh, part-time contract, and I moved there in 2006. So then I went back to Louisiana to defend my monograph in 2007 and then back to Syracuse. And wow. uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in Syracuse for a job, basically. So that's pretty intense. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about working for an orchestra, but uh, it's pretty intense. I mean, the whole, the whole regimen uh, and the whole practice, the whole everything. Uh, while you were, I mean, that was a full time job being in the orchestra, correct? No, no, I was part time. I was involved right. part time with part-time. them, but okay. I still practiced many hours a day. I, I always practiced the violin. You have to because you keep auditioning places. You keep huh? auditioning for the full time position at the Syracuse Symphony, which I never got, unfortunately, or fortunately, actually, because had gotten if I had gotten the full time position, I would have never started nursing school in two thousand eight, hmm. and then I would have lost everything in 2011 and having to start to audition again. So it, for me, it was fortunate. I just feel bad for my colleagues at the Syracuse Symphony. Who lost their jobs. Right, right. So you said that key word, nursing. So you go from being this accomplished violinist and and now you decide to go to nursing school. What were the what were the reasons? What was up here to make you want to go into nursing? Well, I knew I wasn't accomplished for one thing, because if you can't win a full-time position for several years, that doesn't make you an accomplished violinist in our world. And the competition grew because um, orchestra started bankrupting from between 2006 and 2008, and later on also 2009 uh, through 2012 with the financial crisis. And the competition was, I've, I've said this in many other interviews, you compete against 40 to 500 people for a single spot. And I knew I wasn't competitive enough, and um, that was the worst part when I um, understood that I had to change. And I had, at that point, being violinist for 26 years, I knew nothing but music because I spent 12 years in a specialized music school from the first to the 12th grade, and then 11 years in music college, bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. I, I had no science base, let alone in English. So, But I knew that nursing is a profession that was in high demand everywhere in the world. And I also knew that there were two to four years of school as opposed to 11 years. Okay. And I decided to give it a shot. I always liked science, even though I didn't have any formal science education. So that's how it happened. I I just didn't want to spend another 10 years in college. I was 32 at the time. So it was pretty late for many people's standards. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, it's never, uh, it's never too late. Uh, it's one of the great lessons I've learned. You know, I became a, a quote, professor, lecturer at Rutgers University. Three years ago, I was 74, and I'm starting teaching. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I did. I know this now, but I didn't know it then. Yes, so it, of course it not. Crisis. It was a crisis in my life at 32, definitely. Right. Okay. So, but that that's one of my uh, poster boy things. Uh, it's never uh, too late. Uh, so, um, uh uh, did you have any particular specialties in, in nursing when you, you kind of finished your training? 
I, I think I read somewhere. Did you do orthopedic? Uh, and that was for a year, yes. Uh, before that, I did a little bit of ICU, then ortho, and then I transitioned to home care nursing. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you go from nursing to um, you kind of jumped into to real estate investing and investing. How did that come about? I mean, it's like, wow, the change. Yeah. It came about because I saw how the nurses lived once I entered the uh, workforce as a nurse. And then it was really my boyfriend. We've been together for 15 years now. But at the time, we had just dated for a year or two when he said, geez, I'll be 85 and I'll be still working. So that got me thinking very seriously because he was making way much more money than me. My colleagues were making more money than me. It was my colleagues that were complaining constantly that they were flat broke. And I didn't understand that mentality. What were their financial habits? I knew nothing about money at that point because I was never interested as an art person for 26. And by the time I became a nurse, I had been in music for 29 years. Wow. So I considered myself way above the money problem, which was the dumbest thing, of course, because I was going to be flat broke too if I didn't take matters into my own hands. I saw that nurses were getting burnt out very quickly. I saw how the conglomerations that were devouring hospital after hospital, the corporate uh, companies, how they treated the nurses and the doctors to some extent, but the nurses particularly, uh, high turnover and people with great seniority about me with much better hourly rates were constantly out of money. And I didn't like, it didn't make sense. It really didn't make sense. And then when I, I learned a couple of things about financial crises before the 2008, that that was a periodical historical financial cycle because people right. never learn the lessons from history. Uh, they forget very quickly. And so I had to answer the question, do I want to work until I'm 70 or 75 or 80? Because there were nurses who were that um, advanced in age and they were still working. Or do I want to have some choices? Why not learn how to invest? So I hired a mentor. First, I read several books uh, on finance. I understood nothing the first two books, like 75% of the terminology was completely foreign to me. And that was intimidating. It was perplexing. And I almost gave up. But then I thought, oh, wait a minute. You learned a science profession. You were reading the books seven to nine hours a day for your nursing school, just like I used to practice the violin. And I thought you knew nothing about science. You knew nothing about medicine. And now you're practicing professionally. So why not? Why don't you learn the financial jargon and parlance and all this terminology? And why don't you understand these processes and learn to invest to make your hard earned money? It was really hard earned money in nursing work for you. Uh, why don't you buy assets um, that will produce cash flow that is unrelated to a job? So I went through all these questions and answers for a year before I ventured into purchasing an online coaching program and learn how to invest. So you're doing all of this and then this book comes into your head. Um, it really is simple, a holistic approach to self-confidence. It's a practical guide. And, and I'm showing this to the audience. Um, this was published it was published when, uh, but you in, in this book, which is so diverse, because uh, you you cover so many different topics, uh, um, and and and, I'm, and you know you you've got health and martial arts and 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 financial independence and cultural, uh, 
there's a ton of fascinating, interesting stuff here. So diverse. So talk about how this all came about, because uh, I'm interested. Because you know, I just wrote a book, and and I know how that comes about. But how did this come about for you? So that was way later. Obviously, the book was published in 2021. I right. started writing it at the beginning of 2020. So by then, I already had established three of my investing businesses in addition to my nursing job. And uh, I am a very dedicated fitness practitioner, Calvin. I go to the fitness four days a week, two and a half hours a day minimum. So there were all these people, friends, patients, people at the grocery store, uh, colleagues, and they're asking me, how do you handle all this? How did you make yourself financially independent? How are you managing three real estate businesses and a full-time job and your fitness routine and your completely uncompromising organic plant-based vegan diet? Um, plant-based is vegan, yes. But all these things, and they said, I want to be able to do this. How do you, How did you buy this first property? How did you put that? So all these questions came and I, I, I thought about it. And I realized, you know, it's a system that I've been using throughout this time for the last 15 years This has helped me with all the five life aspects that I am discussing in the book. And the aspects are very simple. They're your health, your spirituality, your career, your finances, and your relationships. So I have the same approach in all these five areas. I really have done my absolute best for the last 15 years to not neglect any of them and to elevate each to the best of my ability. And I did struggle with lack of self-confidence for over two decades. And this was the main premise of the book because people who knew me very well, they knew my struggles as a performer. And they said, how did this transformation happen for you? And I told them it happened because I faced my problems, my personal problems in my head. I resolved to deal with them one by one. I dealt with them and then I grew from there. But it was the same principle that I used. And it was a very simple principle, hence the title of the book. It really is simple. I cleaned space from each area. I removed things that I didn't need in any of these areas. I had to identify those. And it, it's not a, it was not an instant process. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the book, I wish I could have read this book 15 years ago. Because it took me that much time to reverse things. So I, re- I, I figured my mindset was wrong and detrimental to my prosperity and my personal growth. So I, it took me five years to reverse that. And then five more years to start seeing the results. And now 15 years later, I'm exactly where I dreamed of being, dreamt of being 15 years ago. And of course, there is always room for growth and improvement. But the thing is, now I have control over my life for the first time in many, many, many years. I mean, that's been going on now for almost five years. That's why I wrote the book to hopefully inspire other people who are in a midlife crisis or at a crossroads in life or in uh, poor health, poor financial situation, poor relationships, or all of the above to fix this in their lives and to let them know it's completely within their ability to do that. Because I never thought I would accomplish a fraction of what I did. And if I can do it, anybody can. And I've said this in the book maybe 10 or 20 times. Wow. I can do it, you can, because I want to well, instill this in people's minds. I, I have to tell you, we, we discussed this uh, a week or two ago when we first chatted. Uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who interviews and somebody that digests, and, and, and I kind of looked at 
uh, I kind of looked at some of your elements uh, and, you know, the health and, and, and the soul, the overcoming uh, and, and gaining of self-confidence. So what I'm trying to say is our commonality, I, I find, is extraordinary because that's been a hallmark of my life or most of my life, the lack of self-confidence. Uh, and and it took me decades and decades and decades. Uh, and, and actually it's expressed in this, in creating a character who uh, had similar uh, issues of self-confidence that began, that's what the, the title means, is a tortoise in my hair. Right, all based on experience, right? The, the title the title means that when, when this, this this character was born uh uh his father is, said he was slow and he didn't have a chance to really develop so he has to have a tortoise in his hair slowing him down and that tortoise in the hair uh actually was me sort of uh so but your journey the whole the whole uh and I and I'm saying now I wish I would have had this. A bunch of years ago, it would have helped me immeasurably because it's such a powerful thing to self-confidence. And then I fumbled around and, and because I didn't have the proper guidance, like what you provide here, uh, uh, it, it it took me uh, to become a septuagenarian, somebody in the 70s to finally get to that point where I'm, I'm, I'm confident. And, and, uh, and then, of course, your health aspect, by the way, and more of our uh, uh, commonality, uh, you know, you know the, the health thing. Uh, right before the pandemic, I was two and a half, three hours uh, uh, a day, three times a week at the gym. Um, Excellent. And that, uh, mm-hmm. Now you know, it's changed a little bit, obviously. I'm kind of redirected. Uh, the vegan diet, I'm not vegan, but I'm awful close. Uh, I haven't had uh, I haven't had anything to eat with four legs since 1975. Does it make a difference? You bet it does. Yes, of course. Calvin, I need to bring you to some of my patients who have given up on themselves since age 55. Wow. You will be a very, very inspiring individual to them, I'm sure. Hey, uh, uh, my pleasure. If I can ever help you help somebody, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, you know, I lived the journey. I lived it, uh, and and I believe in it, and 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 you know the health thing, and uh, I'm thoroughly convinced that my diet uh, has contributed to the fact that I have zero coronary artery plaque. Absolutely, blood is flowing unimpeded to all the areas of my brain, nourishing it, keeping it functioning at a high level. Yes, and, sir. Uh, yes, so, it is. Yes, and you know I I think this is a good time to jump into. If you want to say a few things about certain, I, I kind of picked out some some chapters. Uh, uh, if you want to just say a few words um, about some of the elements uh, of, of the book. So um, uh, there's one portion of the book that how to embrace challenges. What would you say to that? Yes. So challenges can be frightening to people, especially when they refuse to face their own problems, but they want to change the rest of the world or expect the rest of the world to change for them. Once you identify your challenges, I have uh, developed a little formula in chapter two as to how I deal with my challenges, because I used to be for many years extremely impatient. 
with everything around me and especially with myself. Challenges, I was trying to avoid challenges at all costs when I was a musician. And that did, didn't do any favors, didn't help my case at all. So I have discussed this in chapter one. And then in chapter two, I provide a couple of guidelines how to embrace your challenges because once you reach the, uh, reach the conclusion that that's what makes you grow, solving the elephant in the room. And everybody knows what their biggest problems are, but they shield themselves from the problems, the, the real problems by creating smaller problems around themselves and using them as excuses and uh, uh, kind of hiding points to actually from resolving what is really the important part in their lives. Prioritization is all about prioritization with integrity. Um, and it, one of the hardest things is to be uh, honest with yourself. That is the biggest challenge that I had to face. And I know many other people because before I wrote the book, of course, I read books on self-confidence building once I recognized that I needed help. I bought a whole bunch of books on self-confidence. There are other wonderful self-confidence books out there. It's a very competitive field. And with the reason, because many, many authors before me have recognized that people avoid their own challenges and that's what crushes their self-esteem and self-confidence. So there are excellent ways you read books, but also I have offered ways how I solve the problems because now with the nursing and with my businesses and everything, I had to learn a lot of things that I didn't know, I had no clue about. But once you have the business, you have an obligation to your clients. Once you're in a responsible profession like nursing or any other profession, you have responsibility to your clients, whether it's a business or a job or both. And I do recommend to people to try both at all costs, to the best of their ability, because you learn the business aspect and the job aspect. And there are two different sides of the same coin. And it's fascinating to know how this works, if you can. Because like I said, I, I um, as a musician, I thought I knew everything and I didn't need to know anything else. I had no clue about the real world. But the more you immerse yourself in the real world, you see that people have similar challenges. Many people have much more serious challenges than you and lo and behold, they have overcome them. So you want to start asking, how did they do that? So I can do it better. And this is one of the ways to embrace your challenge, recognizing that it's not the end of the world. And there are ways to take emotions out of your problem solving. And then it becomes much more easy, much easier to do that. When you don't involve your uh, ego into the problem solution and you see the big perspective, Mm -hmm. with your final crazy goal that you hopefully have in addition to your small and mediocre goals, right? Because people have different ways to set goals, whether to just go by, get by, or to really accomplish something over a long period of time if you have the patience. So this is what chapter two deals with okay. uh, in detail. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the whole self-confidence thing, um, I, real fast, uh, I, I was a very good basketball player back growing up uh, uh i i was really good however i didn't think i was good and and i didn't believe i was good uh so I, it didn't allow me to to to, to push myself in other words i, I could have played in college i i could have played uh, even in high school uh and, and there was this great 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 player in in my high school who went on to become an all-american at the university of iowa and he was all state. He was my idol. He was a few years older than me. He was the best. He really was. So the funny thing. Uh, so I I had no self-confidence. I had no idea uh, anything about my basketball. Uh, but I met him 
we got reunited after 60 years. 60 years uh, at my 60th reunion two weeks ago. And and, and I went over and I hugged him and I said, you know, you were my idol. And And then he said something so amazing to me, Alexandra. He said, Calvin, why didn't you play for the high school and in college? You were one of the best basketball players I ever saw. Nobody ever blocked your shot. Said to him, why couldn't you have told me that? (laughs) (laughs) It would have made... You know what? Uh, it would have made a, a difference. In a world of a difference. Of to have my idol tell me I was really good. But I, uh, and so, but it's really interesting. So, moving did on. You tell him, did you tell him that he was your idol at the time? Yes, I did. You I did told him right up front, you were my idol. I, at the time when you guys were students? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Mm. Two years older than me, but he was the best in New Jersey. He was the okay. best player in New Jersey. And he thought I was right there with him. But I, I never knew that. Because he he had seen me play, you know, I, I didn't play organized. I played, you know, in the playground and stuff. Um, but uh, it was so interesting. Uh, it, it was so interesting that that uh, it took 60 years. And, and, and that whole, you know, two weeks ago, for hours, I thought about, uh, I'm trying to interact with fellow kids I haven't seen in 60 years. And and I kept thinking about what he told me. And it's like, why couldn't you have told me that then? Because uh, there was no place for me to get the, the self-confidence. I mean, I was too young to know anything about it. So, but it's so interesting. And, and that's why what, what you have here is so important. By the way, you know, the more I think about it, it's important for, I think it's important for young people, for Gen Zs and working their way on up to start realizing this. Uh, um, so what, it, and I believe that because I lived it. Um, I think you're right because when I when I wrote the book, it was really intended for people in their early, from their early 30s to probably late 50s, early 60s because of midlife crisis that I went through very early at 32 and uh, crossroads in life, uh, the crossroads in life, but um, the younger generations with all the changes that are happening, they, they are facing challenges that we didn't have to face. Correct. Intensely as is uh, fast. And probably, probably you're right that younger generations can benefit. Absolutely. I, and again, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. Yeah, I, I interact a lot with Gen Zs. I, I continue to mentor students uh, at Rutgers, uh, having taught students three years ago. Uh, uh, and, and it's funny, I, I, I'm thinking of a student who now is in her second year of law school, but she had severe lack of self-confidence. And I interviewed her for my, my channel, severe lack of, didn't even want to leave her room kind of thing. Sure. And, sure. And, uh, 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 and it took years and Rutgers helped her come out of, of that lack of self-confidence and gave her self-confidence. The fact that she wasn't even sure she was a student and she graduated magna cum laude. So uh, I think, and again, I'm an under, it's an uneducated think, but this can really help young people, uh, truly help young people. So uh, moving along to one of my favorite topics uh, uh, that you discussed, uh, we already touched on it a little bit. If there's anything more to say about diet and health in the overall picture. Yes. uh, As a nurse, I'm obviously biased towards health because uh, I lead a lifestyle that is geared towards being an example for my patients and loved ones. 
I cannot recommend anything to a patient unless I do it myself, because otherwise I wouldn't have credibility. I mean, you and I have all seen uh, many healthcare professionals leading extremely unhealthy lifestyles, being overweight, have every disease known to man, poor life habits. And that was one of my cultural shocks uh, when I became a nursing student and then a nurse. And I have described this not very kindly in chapter three, I'm afraid, because uh, I've said it before, I'm not, I don't sugarcoat things. And it was extremely disappointing to see how many healthcare professionals were treating their own health, not having control over their own health and habits, yet educating patients how to live healthy. I thought that was topmost hypocrisy and extremely disturbing. I find it disturbing to the present day as well. So I decided I was not going to be one of these healthcare professionals. Plus, I had a father who was very sick before he passed away. And that was my other example of what not to follow, much as I loved him very dearly, but uh, that was a very eye-opening experience, uh, what my mother went through with him. And um, I embraced the vegan diet. Well, for one thing, I stopped meats and poultry in 2000, okay? But I was eating seafood, which is just as contaminated, right? And uh, the derivative products of the animals that carry the contaminants and toxins and hormones and everything and bad cholesterol from these animals, not to mention that the perpetuation of so-called animal protein for the last 70 something years from the animal industry is a complete myth because the only natural producers of protein the plants that all these animals are eating and then people are eating these animals and never asking themselves the questions how do the animals i'm eating get their protein well the right. plants of course right but the the main point is that um clean organic whole food plant-based diet is unassociated with any of the profitable chronic diseases that are plaguing Americans today and are making tremendous money to the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries. So plants don't cause, of course, we cook oil-free in our house. We don't put oil when we cook. That's obvious, right? We never eat fried food either. But um, cardiovascular disease, cancers, um, diabetes type 2, all the autoimmune disorders and neurological disorders. It's so much contamination and toxicity from the food plus the environmental toxins that you clean your food. I have seen, I have communicated with excellent immunologists and endocrinologists who place their patients on completely plant-based diet. And people who have been poorly treated, mistreated, misdiagnosed for 10 years with these disorders suddenly get better in a matter of like three or four months wow. and their life changes completely. And it's just ridiculous why this is not taught in medical schools. Doctors and nurses know minimally about nutrition. And I remember because I took all of my classes, Calvin, very seriously as a nurse. I was literally reading between seven and nine hours a day. Sometimes I was reading 12 hours because I knew I had no science base. I knew I had to um, be equal to these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that had some science classes in school and in English. And the hardest class I took, the hardest of all the classes I took was nutrition. There was one semester of nutrition, wow. and it was the hardest class. It was harder than pharmacology. It was harder than med surgical nursing, than everything else I ever learned, and the, the chemistry, the math, everything that I learned. Nutrition was the most complicated class. Uh, and that the first time in nursing school that I felt that I might not get an A on a test, which I miraculously got, but it was scary on the test because like, 
wait a minute, I spent all these hours learning and now everything is total mess in my head because there is so much to know and so much common stuff between the minerals and vitamins. It was crazy. And I have spoken with plant-based nutritionists since then. And they say, I do this full time and it's still extremely hard for me. Nutrition is complex and doctors don't learn it. And then they teach it to their patients. Wow. So, uh, and I kind of agree with you because I've been dabbling with doctors and, and I do my own nutritional things and, and I read as much as I can about nutrition these days. Yeah, you have uh, to, you have to. Uh, you really do. And, and, and I think my, my star uh, is the fact that I have zero coronary artery plaque, you know, fantastic. And, and, fantastic. and I'm not perfect. Uh, 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 I would like to shoot for perfection. I, I keep on threatening my wife that I'm going to go vegan completely. Uh, no fish. Uh, I mean, the fish is loaded with micro. You know, I just found um, scares the hell out of me because I do a lot of environmental stuff. Uh, right. The the ocean is loaded with microplastics and we eat. And mercury, mercury and radiation from the Fukushima plant disaster. Oh, I mean, the oh yeah, ocean. that's terrible. <laughs> that's... That, it's terrible. Yeah. So uh, 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 I keep threatening uh, my wife, and she, she she's not in the mood to cook a vegan thing. And so we have our so I, I try to be politically correct and keep her happy. And um, but I I keep leaning towards that. But maybe at, at my age it doesn't make a difference. I don't know. Uh, moving on, uh, another one of my favorite topics that you talk about is is uh, spirituality. And how do you uh, integrate spirituality into into this? Yeah, into everything, right? Um, so again, with the spiritual life, same like with health and relationships and finances, everything you clean what you don't need. So the first priority is to clean my mind every day, several times a day, and I accomplish this through meditation, whether passive or active. The passive meditation is complete focus on your breathing or anywhere. So you just truly empty your mind from all the petty and disgusting thoughts that you might have. The active meditation I practice is through the Silva mind control methods, which I find completely fascinating. And then after the mind cleaning and the active meditation, I practice inspiration through books, through music, through videos of people who have accomplished more than I have. And that's how I pick my inspiration or through my patients, anything, I use anything to learn. Driving from a patient to patient, because, you know, I'm a home care nurse, so I have some driving time in between houses. Anything I see on the road fascinates me, and I just use this as inspiration or for meditative purposes. But I don't waste a minute when I have slack of time to not uh, integrate spirituality in everything I do, because... I used to not do this for many years and just really obsessed with all the tasks I had. And eventually it's like a machine. It's like a robot, the robotic thinking, extremely stressed and anxious. And through the, that spiritual method, I also learned to transform anxiety from something debilitating to something very helpful to prompt me to do my everything I do and do it with um, pride and joy, pride of ownership of my day and everything I do. So yeah, that's spirituality in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. You, uh, I, I just met uh, someone who's been studying, uh, and, and again, what, what you're saying is so profound, and I wanted to highlight it uh, by, by using spirituality to clear this. Uh, and I just met this, uh, this he's actually from, from California, and he's in 
he's into high tech and stuff. And uh, but he's been studying how to clear empty this and clear this by methods which you just said to the spiritual and and finding ways to to clear this because you know what um just like you know, i buy a computer that you know has a terabyte uh and when you hit the terabyte it's all filled up well this gets filled up too oh you yes know? it does quickly it does get filled up and of course sleep as you know of being a nurse and everything you do you know sleep is a is a great mechanism to help clear some of this stuff out and it physically does you know, when you sleep, your your mind is physically physically getting rid of the garbage. But uh, you you do need other methods to make room to learn. So you've got to uh, you've got to clear this up. So what you said it was very profound because I I wasn't even aware of it until like a month ago when I sat down for a couple hours with this thinker from California. But in, interesting stuff. Um, um, uh, also, in my reading about you, you, you had something I, I read something that was really profound. Um, uh, and we talked about it briefly uh, a week ago or so. But uh, how do you, I, I love this, how do you use anxiety as an ally? I used to be extremely anxious for the wrong, uh, in the wrong way. I mean, you're never anxious for the wrong reasons, but you can be anxious in the wrong way, in my experience. There are many things that can make you anxious, but anxiety, I find, can be an excellent, excellent motivating force if you understand it and then you act on it properly. So you can prioritize things to get anxious about or otherwise it will overwhelm you. And most people who allow themselves to get overwhelmed by anxiety and then they resolve to pills and all these artificial methods to control it, I think they have lost control over their lives to a great extent. I see it a lot in my patients because anxiety can be used as a tool, as a motivational tool. Usually you get anxious if you're really honest with yourself. You get anxious when you haven't done something that you should have done. And you don't always know what exactly it is, but you will find out quickly if you focus on it. That also happens through meditation, mostly with active meditation. But I have... I resolved to turn anxiety into a friend and that came with the um i mean it's very trivial and boring as heck probably to many people but when i started renovating my apartments the rental apartments that i had to give to tenants then and i had to budget like very astute budgeting and time management and i used to get very overwhelmed by anxiety but then i said okay wait a minute i just need to put things in order and i put the anxiety a little bit aside just to why I was anxious and I figured out what I could have done better. And then I watched some anxiety subside gradually, gradually, gradually. And with each next renovation of a rental property, I was less and less, I had fewer anxiety moments. They were still there because they're necessary. It prompts you to act fast rather than procrastinate on certain things. You have to, somebody promised you to fix something and they didn't call you when they said they would call you. Okay, so now you have to call them. You got to keep them accountable. Is it pleasant? No, but you get used to it. And this is what's anxiety provoking to many people when they have to interact with others who have promised something, but then they don't keep their promises and they're afraid they might not get the best deal and they don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. All these little, trivial, boring things, but you have to make them interesting through anxiety. And you integrate that mindset into your goal and you pursue it until you get it. And then everything clears. 
to the next goal. And that's how you make this chain of events that you prove yourself that your anxiety can help you move faster within your own mindset because I have a very lazy mindset. Nothing in my life has come easy. And to counter the lazy mindset, I have to get anxious to make myself do things. And it's very beneficial. At this point, I don't get nearly as anxious anymore. But there was this five-year period when I had to uh, learn to work with my own anxiety and uh, procrastination and laziness and reluctance. And that's where I put it all together. And I said, okay, so these you guys are going to help me not be as lazy. And it worked, but it took time. Interesting. Uh, I just think that's it's such a fabulous concept. You know, anxiety is an ally. Um, uh, it's great stuff, really. Um, all right, so kind of winding down, uh, we, we've discussed the heaviness and, and, and the practicality uh, of, of this. Um, it really... It really is simple, a holistic approach to self-confidence. By the way, where where uh, can folks get this? Um, the ebook version is everywhere. They can get it on Amazon. They can get it on Apple Books, Smashwords, Barnes and Noble. Um, okay. The paperback is only on my website, along with the ebook. So the ebook costs the same six ninety nine to okay. all the platforms, including my website. The paperback okay. is available on my website, which is holisticselfconfidence.com. Which will be on the bottom of this for everybody to see. Uh, so a couple of uh, lighter, lighter uh, topics. Uh, I always like to ask some of these things. Um, what are uh, what are some of your favorite books? Some of your favorite kind of music? Yeah, music. Uh, I listen classical music every day. I don't play the violin. I haven't touched since 2011, but I do listen to classic, particularly Baroque. Uh, and classical music encompasses many, uh, but for the people who know that there are eras in classical music, right? So the Baroque era is fascinating to me because I also have described this in chapter eight, the spiritual chapter, because it helps me get very organized and relaxed at the same time. So it's a very strange thing, but it relaxes me, but it then gets, gets me very active. Baroque music of uh, Italian, German, English Baroque, French Baroque is my favorite, uh, truly. And um, as far as books, I read a lot of financial books, but uh, I love, I, I stopped reading fiction a long time ago because of my schedule. So I pr primarily read books that are nonfiction, financial, current events. I love um, Creating Wealth by Robert Allen. I've read this book three times. Wow. I also like... Um, reading alan watts he's the you know, lived in california to british who brought zen and all this culture to america and i just love these books a lot uh tibetan zen master chogam trumpa rinpoche i also read that a lot and uh, my mentor robert kusaki's books are very precious to me because that's what got me going into my journey to independence um and other music I listen could be jazz or good pop music, but truly Baroque music is the must for the day. Okay. Interesting, because while I was writing this, a couple of, you know, over the five years, uh, a couple of times I needed a jolt. So I, I found Ode to Joy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Beethoven's Ninth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I listened to Ode to Joy and actually wrote about it in, in here that whenever I needed a jolt, and 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 I needed a, a kick. 
uh, I would put on Oda Joy, uh, and 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 it's just marvelous how it would kind of lift me up. Um, it does. It's it's a great great emotional booster. That's yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know, another another. Why don't we have those kind of? Maybe we do. Maybe I'm not aware of it. But why don't we have those kind of Beethoven composers today that can write a piece that can take a soul and just lift the soul up? Do we do we have those today, or we well, don't? there there are plenty of 20th century composers that can well they reflect the times they live in, right? Uh, but you can have elevating music that is not necessarily happy. Yeah, right. I mean, you have Schnitke, you have Arvo Piart, the composers of the 20th century. Uh, well, it was a horrible century for in so many ways with the wars and you know people went through horrific stuff, but. Um, we do have the Beethovens. We just need to learn to listen to them differently. And it's a big problem in the classical music industry that um, the orchestra is trying to please these very conservative tastes of certain audiences. They don't educate the audiences as much anymore in contemporary music so that people can learn to appreciate this music and uh, listen to these composers that uh, some of them are, trying, are writing excellent music. Not all of them, of course, but that was all time hit. Bad composers and excellent composers. And now we keep digging out stuff from 16th, 17th century that nobody knew about. And it's just right. fascinating music. And the same will be the case with this century and the 20th century composers. But there is not enough curiosity anymore. And so the internet, unfortunately, makes it very easy for people to pirate music and listen in their homes instead of taking the time to go to the concert hall. Right. And experience live performance the right. way it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, do you have any favorite movies? Uh, one of my another one of my favorite questions. I, I love this because I'm a movie person. Any favorite movies? That's a funny question because actually the book I wrote that we've been discussing all this time is um, the prototype of this book is a another book from the movie Mirror Mask by the Jim Hansen Company. Wow. So it's it's a it's a child movie. Well, it has some pretty creepy things in there, but a uh, computer animated movie. And there is a guide there, a life-saving guide called Really Useful Book. And that was really what inspired the formation of this book that I wrote. And I've mentioned this in the introduction and in chapter two about the Really Useful Book. It was this life-saving tool that... <laughs> changed things around as it saw fit and it helped the main character. So Mirror Mask is a very fascinating story that is not very known, but it's a very strange movie, a nerdy type uh, of movie, uh, which uh -huh. I really like. <laughs> it's not incongruous in anything I've told you so far. Okay. okay. Um, last question. Uh, uh, something I, I've dived into the last couple of months uh, that I never thought I would be diving into. It's this world of AI. So everything you do, Alexandra, uh, uh, AI is going to infiltrate. So are you looking forward to AI? Do you like it? Do you, uh, uh, in, in some ways, does it worry you? I like it to the extent that it makes many things easier for me in, in terms of finding information, but I don't like it in terms of making people's brains lazier and lazier and lazier and more reliant on robots. AI indicates to me that now more than ever, it is important for us to be as authentic as possible, especially as content creators. Uh, 
I will never rely on AI to write whole articles for me. I, I think that's a complete fraud. And it's, uh, again, it's a great question you're asking because I actually have a friend who, when he learned that I was writing the book, you know what he said? Why don't you just hire a ghost writer from Amazon? They use AI, they write these books and you can save time. And I was like, excuse me, I have a brain. I have ideas I want to express. And to, as far as I'm concerned, what you're suggesting is called fraud. Why would I create something, compile a bunch of articles in the shape of chapters and claim I'm the author of it? It's it's absurd. And I know that Amazon now they have, they're implementing rules that you have to sign papers and prove that you, your book is not AI generated because this is going to be a huge problem. So in, in that respect, I'm not exactly thrilled with AI. I think it's inevitable. It will make many people's lives easier, but it also will create, of course, like every nice invention, it will create a lot of opportunity for fraud. It will be very hard to control. And um, authenticity, that it will just increase that much the value of authentic writing and authentic people. Right. And uh, I think that's right. a great chance for people like me who are more interested in authenticity than anything else. Same here. Same here. So... Uh, we did our thing and, uh, this was great. And, and, um, uh, I'm also going to invite you to come back, uh, in any shape, way or form you want to. Thank you, Kelvin. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah, for having you me. Bring, you can bring patients back. We can do panels uh, any kind of imaginative thing. I'm, I'm always open for, I'm very loyal. So you're always welcome back. Uh, we'll, we're going to stop this recording now. Don't leave. Uh, we'll do our okay. quick two-minute wrap, but uh, I can't thank you enough. For Likewise. Your... I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. This was great, truly, and, and I've learned a lot. And our commonality is very inspiring for me because things are important to you, important to me. So this I learned a lot, great. too. Yep. Thank you, Alexandra. Stay. I'm just going to stop recording.